Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Uh, this week we are talking about the 2007 film Once. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. Thanks. Uh, I need to start off by just thanking you for for putting this one on the list. Um, you said we sort of needed to go in a different direction after First Reformed. Um, I This is a movie I've seen before, but I loved it. It was so great to watch last night. I And I ended up buying it on Amazon because like renting and buying wasn't that much different for what I needed to do. And it's just like, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm just going to keep going back to anyhow. So it was a delight to... Uh, it was a delight to buy. So let's start with, um, and, and we maybe talked about this a little bit. I can't remember if we talked about once in, in the first episode or if we talked about it after we recorded the first episode. <laughs> but let's talk about our histories with this film. So what, when, when did you first encounter this? Or how did you first encounter this? As I, as I recall, um, I'm pretty sure this is one I saw in the theater. And I'm pretty sure it would have been about the time it came out. Um, and Because uh, it was one of those small films that kind of snuck up on everybody. So it was the buzz was pretty hot and i'm pretty sure it would have been one of those i probably saw down in san anthony maine uh in minnesota film society yeah and 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 i mean it, it seems like in reading articles at the time when it came out it even in some degrees snuck up on the people who made the film <laughs> they were not necessarily thinking oh this is like this is going to be a rocket ship i mean they were just like well uh, we're going to make this and hopefully we'll sell it. And hopefully, and, and, and I mean, the fact that it even didn't get accepted in certain film festivals, I mean, even after it was made, it's one thing to be like, we can't get it financed. It's another thing to have made this movie we watched and people saying, nah, we don't want to show that at our film festival. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Sundance was the big, the big one it got into. And that kind of, that kind of launched it. I have a very, uh, my wife and I, uh, who she loves, loves this movie as well. Um, a very strange or very not strange specific story of watching this movie. I had no knowledge of it when it came out. Um, but when it had it, probably the week it came out on, on video, um, this is going to be a very old fashioned story by a couple references I'm going to make. Um, I was on my way home from work or on my way to work, excuse me. And I was listening to the radio, which I never listened to the radio anymore. I was listening to the radio and a guy came on and talked about this movie that he saw that just came out uh, and it was called once. And he didn't say much about it. I don't remember him saying much about it, but I remember him just saying like, just you're going to be blown away by it. So I kind of tucked this into the, into my head because it was a Friday morning and this uh, was when our kids were really little. So often Fridays were just like, well, let's go watch a movie. We'll watch a movie Friday night, get the kids down. And so I was so excited to get home and tell, and this is the movie we should watch. And I got home, I must have got home late or something because I got home and she said, oh, I went to the video store. And I was like, no, which is also old fashioned to go to a video store. <laughs> and I was sort of disappointed because I'm like, I, I, I know what we're supposed to watch tonight. And she said, well, I, I already got something. And she said, I was standing in Blockbuster, again, old fashioned. <laughs> and you know how they would have like the, the TV monitors up that would play like trailers mm -hmm. or things like that. And she said, I was walking around and I heard a song on the trailer and I turned and I watched this trailer for this movie and I just had to rent it. And it was once. So we both were, were both like going to come to each other and say, we have to watch this. And, uh, and then we watched it that night and we're, and didn't, we didn't know, I didn't know a thing about it. I don't mm -hmm. think, I think she knew basically what she saw in that trailer and we're just sort of deeply 
transfixed by it. I mean, the music is pretty amazing. Um, we talked about this with O Brother or Art Thou, how it kind of became the soundtrack for about a year in our lives. This was probably a year in our lives as well, where once was just, we could have just physically attached it to our car CD player. Every time you started the car, just a song from once came on. And that was, I don't think we took the CD out for about a year. So. Well, it's a great example of life imitating art imitating life, right? Because the, the because the movie itself is the same story that the movie is telling. Exactly. Uh, right. You know, the the, the the little engine that could. the The budget was about one hundred fifty thousand, as you probably know, uh, and they uh, they didn't they didn't get permits for shooting the street scenes. So that's why a, a, a lot of the street scenes are long lenses, mm -hmm. uh, which they also did because it helped the non professional actors feel a little more at ease. And then when it was at Sundance, um, Hansard and, and Irglova had um, had planned to fly out before the awards night because they figured there was no reason to stick around for awards. And of course, sure. they, yeah, ended up costing them more because they had to had to extend their plane tickets right. to stay for the awards. So. But it's crazy! It's crazy to think about one hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget. One hundred fifty thousand dollars in our world is still a lot of money. But the crazy thing is, like you and I, if we had to could finance this movie if we had to sell our houses like it's like most movies like even if i put everything i've ever earned i could never even get a percentage of a movie right but like this when i read that number i thought if i had to if i absolutely had to i could have financed this movie which is insane it, well if, if if you could find a bank manager who also was an aspiring singer songwriter right who would be willing to underwrite whatever your project is you'd right be I, I, I had forgotten about that scene last night when i watched it and i was like yeah. how do they get how do they convince this guy and at first i thought well maybe it's just the magic of the music but when it cuts <laughs> to him playing playing a song and kind of looking at their faces like I think this is going well. And what is this guy doing? And it was just like, that was, I wonder, like, that was such a specific scene too. Like, I wonder if that is something that happened, like some version of that happened to them. Yeah. Um, because I, one of the things that, that that's really cool about this movie is, is a lot of little specifics. Like um, for example, my brother-in-law, um, is a musician and he has a recording studio and actually we used to live when we watched this movie we lived in a duplex with them and the studio was in the duplex and my um uh, my uncle is also he's a musician in nashville and has a recording studio and so i was i already knew about the um the car test for mm. for us mm -hmm. like that that's a very real thing that that yeah. uh, my brother-in-law says you know at a certain point you get so used to hearing it in the studio with these like massive perfect speakers and he says you you kind of lose sight of it and you actually have to go out and um and listen in like a kind of a a beaten up car with not a good sound system be like how does how will this sound for people actually listening so when i got to that scene i was like oh that's like that's like a very real detail for uh for for recordings um i want to ask you a question about this movie that i asked you about oh brother where art thou because um, it's interesting reading about this this is this is called a musical um and and so and when we did oh brother where art thou you um i asked you whether that was a musical and you sort of laid out here's why it probably doesn't qualify this has a lot more music than oh brother where art thou especially music where the characters are 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 singing um it's 
I guess you'd call all the music diegetic in this mostly kind of, although it plays on the edges of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's one of the things, that, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, right? It plays on the edges because it'll take what is, begins as diegetic music and then it'll over, lay it over a different scene so it becomes non-diegetic at the same time. Yeah. Right, right. So do you consider this, does this, does this qualify as a musical for you? Or I is... think it does. Okay. I, I think it does, yeah. And, and I, I think so for, um, well, one of the reasons why I think it qualifies as a musical is what I find particularly um, skillful about the film is that it tells its story in two different ways. It tells its story through a narrative and it tells its story through, 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 through the music. Each of the songs relates to um, something that's going on in the film at the time, whether it's uh, when he's composing one of the songs and he's looking, he's composing lies, I think it is, and he's watching the video of Catherine. Um, or, you know, when she plays the piano and she sings about her husband. And uh, so to me, the fact that this, the music, much more so than in Oh Brother Art Thou, is actually part of the narrative, uh, both qualifies it as a musical and I think actually reinvents the musical. Um, one of the differences between this and the classic Hollywood musical is that um, there's, a, there's a sense of uh, deliberate unreality about the classic musical, um, you know, whereas in, in that people just stop and break into song and and dance, uh, and even in a, in a musical like uh, Singing in the Rain, where some of the musical numbers are kind of integrated into the action, uh, you still get the sense that we're going to stop now and sing a song, and then we're going to go back to acting. Whereas in this film, it's it's completely seamless because singing is part of what, that's what the movie is about. And then thematically, the songs all relate to what's, to the characters. So I think it's actually not only a musical, but I think it's kind of a brilliant reimagining of a musical. Right, and even the the even the idea of walking down the street singing works in this. Like when she when she goes to get batteries and is listening to the song and, and composing her lyrics or singing her lyrics. I mean, it's this, really cool tracking shot that starts in the store and then she's walking down the street and it sticks with her. Um, you know, the camera kind of going backwards as she's walking towards camera. Um, but even that is like, Oh yeah, like that, that's believable. I mean, it's somebody who's, who's in her own head a little mm -hmm. bit. Like she's, if somebody was on those empty streets, she's unaware of them, but it's like, yeah, that's, that's totally. And she's even not like, it would be different if, if she got really big in her singing at some point, but it's like, mm -hmm. it's such a quiet song that it's like, yeah, you you could even see that on the streets and be like, okay, that's somebody who's singing to themselves, you know? Yeah, so so that I think that's that's uh that's really interesting. Another thing that this movie has that I really uh, find interesting, it happens throughout the film, is um, there are all these scenes of people not only performing music but lots of shots of people listening to music. Mm -hmm. Like, and there is this sense. Um, uh, that, that's always this interesting thing in a friendship, especially often a new friendship where you're sharing with somebody, whether it's here's something that I made, like you're showing somebody, you're reading something, somebody something you wrote, or you're playing them an instrument and, and they're listening to it, or you're even just showing them, here's this movie that I love, or here's this song that I love. And you're kind of hoping that they're <laughs> connecting with it as well. So like, I, I love I love the, when they go to the piano or to the music store the first time and she's playing Mendelssohn and 
so much of, I mean, they don't really show her playing that much, which is interesting because normally you would do that if the actor couldn't actually play piano. You'd try to cut away, but she actually mm -hmm. can play. I mean, she's a, a great pianist. <laughs> but, but the director knows actually what you want to see is Glenn Hansard. You want to see like what he's sort of thinking about. Mm -hmm. and there's a, a lot of cool framing where she's in the foreground and he's in the background, but it really is him. Um, so it's less focused on the person playing and more on the person kind of reacting or responding to it and then in when they do falling slowly right after that like mm -hmm. it, it starts with her listening to him yeah. and then she starts playing and then it starts being him listening to her and like that that's just this moment of discovery thing that i just think is really cool and then throughout the movie you have the the guy the the guy in the recording studio like you start to realize this you know, is <laughs> yeah yeah at first he's like uh you know these guys i'm whatever and and then when they start playing he, he's like oh man this they're legit. Like this is, this is actually kind of great. And, and you see that sort of relationship blossom. So I love, I love that, that, uh, that type of thing. Cause I, there's always that nervous feeling when you share something with someone, especially if it's something you've made where in your head, this is mm -hmm. something you're proud of. But even, I mean, even though these are talented musicians, there's still this vulnerability of like, yeah, here's, here's some music. Or even at the very end with the, with the dad, when you're yeah. showing him. And as a viewer, you, we don't, if we're paying attention, we know that the dad is the most supportive guy in the world. Yeah. You know, like, like even when he brings in tea when they're rehearsing and you're like, Oh yeah. Like, cause when he opens the door, you're expecting him to say like, keep it down or it's getting late, you know, I guess, but instead he just brings in tea. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you guys probably want this. So, so, but you're still waiting for his response to that. And, uh, and his response is surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's but what movies have taught us about the story of an of a creative artistic person is they're constantly having to battle against these things that are that don't believe in them, you know. So it's sort of, it's like if we're if we're, st if we're sticking in Ireland, it's like the opposite of like Joyce and Stephen Dedalus in Portrait, where it's like I got to get away from all these things which are keeping me down. He's like he's actually surrounded by very supportive people. His dad's like, "Yes, go. You know this. This is this is really good. Why are you still here? You should go." Yeah, I mean the, the movie. The movie. That's, that's an interesting point, Sam. The movie is it's filled with kind people, um, but but they're not kind in a way that you find kind of saccharine or, un, or unrealistic there there i mean the world is actually full of a lot of decent people and and the film kind of shows you that there's only one kind of villain in the film right I mean, or or antagonist but that gets resolved you know so and, and a lot of that is in his head a lot of his conflict with catherine is actually kind of in his head because she says at the end i'm glad you called so mm -hmm. how much of it is him not being able to forgive her for what she's done not her rejecting him well, so, think about think about the first scene in the film. How much that scene tells us, where he's busking outside the department store, and the guy comes by and listens. And there's this moment where he, where where uh, it's so it's so hard because they don't have names. Where a guy or the guy, the hands, boy, yeah, 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 where he's playing, and he he's clearly nervous about this person who's come out and is listening to him. And it's unclear does he know him or not. Mm. And even when you get to the end, it's a little unclear. Um, but. <laughs> So, so it, it, it's almost like you're being told, be on guard. This is a world which can take things away from you, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's actually what ends up happening. But then he chases him down and they sort of just have this conversation. And it's like, okay, so it's also even that we're, we're, we see that, that, that the guy is a, is a kind person too. It's like <laughs> he has every reason to be really mad at this person, but instead it's just like, it's almost like, why are you taking my guitar case? Like, just take them. I don't care about this stuff. Like, 
You know, like like that sets you up to say, okay, this movie's going to be different than even the expectations in the first glimpse that that you, that you have, and even our main character has, or one of our main characters has. You also have to pay attention to what he's singing in that opening scene. He's singing Van Morrison's "And the Healing Has Begun," uh, which is uh, which is the theme of the film. In mm-hmm. sense. And it's and it's a Van Morrison cover that Hansard uh, almost always does in in concert. Um, he said, "Growing up, there was a, a holy tri- uh, a trinity of musicians in his family, and it was um, Leonard Cohen, Van Morrison, and in the middle uh, was Bob Dylan. Those those were those were the, those were the three uh, the three icons." That's really interesting, because <laughs> actually, it, 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 when I listened to his. Uh, because he wrote, he I mean, he wrote most of the songs in this. Like, he also has a lot of uh, sort of Cat Stevens in his like parts mm. of his parts of his songs. Yeah. But then he goes, he often goes bigger than Cat Stevens. Yeah, the, yeah, that whole, the whole, yeah, that whole low to high. Which, yeah. which, by the way, is the one of the reasons uh, the, the role was originally offered to uh, Killian Murphy, uh, the great uh, Irish actor who actually started out his career um, as a rock musician. Um, so Murphy could sing. That was an issue. And that's the only thing we should say about musicals. The, the, the issue with musicals is always, can somebody both act and sing? And usually the priority is, is put on, can they act? And then if we need to, we'll, we'll overdub them, which is the story of, of, of Singing in the Rain. It's also why Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady is the most ridiculous thing I've ever, I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> um, as much as I love Rex Harrison as an actor. But, but anyway, but Killian Murphy turned down the role for two reasons. Uh, and one was he didn't think he had the vocal range for the songs. And the other was he was very concerned about acting opposite a non-actor. Uh, mm-hmm. Evidently, most most real actors, you put them in a film with non-actors, they get very nervous about that. So. <laughs> well, what's interesting is 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 the flip side is Hansard was, was unsure about doing this because he's not. An, I mean, he was in The Commitments in 1991. Which I recommend, moment. by the way. Um, right. the, commitments. the commitments is part of a trilogy uh it's the commitments the van and the snapper uh but the commitments is the best of the three so if you liked once it's not a musical but the commitments is definitely worth checking out right right so so he he was nervous about being in it and he actually pointed to part of that trinity he pointed to bob dylan he says you know i've seen bob dylan in films and i constantly think bob why are you there you know yes, he's the- like <laughs> the, the best part of Dylan's appearance in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid was the song that he sang. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the acting is not there. Um, so, and what's interesting is he, but then he went on, this is from a piece in the uh, the New York Times. Um, he went mm-hmm. on to talk about like, he had to think about acting as sort of like being on stage as a musician. It's like, he says, actually, that is a lot like acting because people are coming expecting a particular performance. And no matter how you're feeling, Sometimes you have to just act like the person they're coming to see rather than like means that there's, there's vulnerability in it, but he's also like, it's, it's sort of like an acting performance. So that was his, his way into um, his way into this, uh, into acting in this movie is sort of uh, thinking about kind of the same thing you're doing on stage. Yeah. And I think they both are kind of natural actors. And it's, it's interesting to me how some musicians have that crossover ability and some don't. Uh, so for uh, for every Chris Christopherson, there's a Paul Simon. Um, but both of both of both of these, I think, are really that they seem to be natural. And I think part of it too has to do with their uh, personal chemistry, um, mm-hmm. both before, during, and after the film. I think that has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Um, so and we've already talked a little bit about this, but I just want to. Uh... 
the thing that that I is interesting about this movie is that you keep and this this was my impression the first time I saw it and it was it was what I was wondering because this is only probably the second time I've seen the movie even though I loved it the first time like I was kind of afraid all these years later to watch it again and be like was it really as magical as I thought it was because <laughs> yeah. when I first saw it my impression was uh, and maybe if this is even set up by that first scene is like I can't, I everything about the way a story is supposed to be told is I keep waiting for something to go wrong. Mm -hmm. I keep waiting. And, and there are, there are small moments, but this is about mostly a bunch of small successes, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like, like, you know, uh, I mean, it, so, but, but, but it was interesting because even as I watched it last night, it it's so effective. I still, even though I knew where it was going, I still kept feeling like there's this weird uneasiness underneath the film even though you never get to the point where the like catastrophe you're expecting that they mm -hmm. then need to overcome happens. And, you know, like um, when they go into the studio to, to look at it for the first time and he says the price and you can look on their faces and they're like, well, there's no way we can afford that. And then you just see her snap into bargaining and it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. and like, I, I just love the line of like, he says, we can, we can talk about 2000 and she says, we don't talk about 2000. We shake on 2000. <laughs> and it's just like, like, and, it, and it's cool. Cause you also see her, like she's clearly somebody who has, you know, even though she's 20 years, roughly younger than, than the guy um, she's been through th and he seems like this like world worn person in a kind of way. Mm. She's, she's seen things he hasn't and she mm. has, tools to deal with the world and responsibilities that he doesn't have mm -hmm. you know we, we realize that uh when, when we kind of go into her world we realize she has to deal with a lot more um with a lot of different things uh than he does so so it's, it's sort of watching her help him navigate this too and again that kind of goes to what you were saying about the film itself is could be a film about how a film like this gets made you know i'm sure that there were that there were some of those things um one of the other things that i found really was struck by that i didn't remember and this goes down to the budget and some of the things you were talking about with the way that they had to shoot it or the way they chose to shoot it is that this felt to me like the greatest fictional documentary of all time i mean it shot it's shot so much like it could be a documentary about these two people because it feels like you're following around all the camera stuff is handheld and it feels like we're just in, in, even in the way that a documentary can be, a can get away with being a little more plotless. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. because we're kind of documenting the things that happen. And, and I don't say plotless as a bad thing. I, I, did a talk mm -hmm. a couple of years ago where I talked about my favorite story. My, some of my favorite books are things that I would describe as essentially plotless. If I tried to tell you what they were about, you have to get into the ideas mm -hmm. because like what's actually happening is not, not that much. And even this story, if, like if I were to tell the story, it's like they meet a relationship kind of blossoms and they make a record. It's like, like, I mean, there's more to it, but like, but that's kind of the plot there's yeah. because there isn't, big things for them to overcome. There's small things that, that are manageable and they overcome them. Um, in that way, it feels like a documentary as well. Uh, and, and it's, I just, I, I, I really, really loved that. Well, it's interesting you say that it, it feels like a documentary, Sam, because one thing I had to kind of keep reminding myself was that all these songs were written before they started filming. I mean, I kept, I kept thinking, here he is composing these songs. I hope, you know, I hope, I hope it turns out to be a good song. I want And I'm like, no, these, these were already made. 
And but they do such a good job of making it seem as though you're watching the the the, the creation as it's occurring. Um, the other thing that's interesting about what you said about documentary styles, I was to say earlier when I talked about them reinventing the musical, it's almost as though it's the musical if uh, the, the Italian neorealists uh, like Rossellini, who were hmm. who, you know, right after the war, if they decided to make musicals. It has that kind of, that either cinema verite or neorealist uh, feel to it. Um, and you also get that too in the, uh, in the different film stocks. Uh, you know, so for example, when he's, uh, when he's composing lies and you're getting a, a very high res bright color um uh look and then you go to the home movies with catherine and their grainy uh, 8 16 millimeter uh, uh, approach to it i mean that's that's a simple technique but it's very effective in uh in taking you in and out of those worlds um another little detail that i that i really loved um was when we go to her uh, to her home mm -hmm. and um and maybe this even plays into the like you're you're waiting for something bad to happen so like like they come in and you see the child and mother and then it's like so i'm conditioned to think this mother is going to be like this not approving of her daughter or not approving of him and she's actually just this delightful person and says that he's handsome and there's the whole thing with the you know where where she's talking in check and 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 the girl is is uh, is translating but then there's another moment where i where i where i expect things to fall apart when the three other check guys come yeah. in to watch tv and you're like oh this is something's and it's just like oh no and then those are just these like delightful guys who are like we love this show and they start quoting lines because this is how they learn english and it's like again it becomes this thing which which you're expecting to be in uh, the beginnings of a problem is just like this sort of specific thing it's like oh that is exactly right and that's what the world of immigrants would be like i think we're like they're this community within a community and this is the one tv so they all come and they watch this and this is you know and, and you see those guys then again later kind of in the background of things and and I, again that seemed like like just a, a very small specific little touch that i i really really enjoyed well for some reason sam that that scene just i collapsed in laughter i just found it so funny and when they start okay so they're, they're so they're watching fair city which is the irish equivalent of eastenders uh it's been running for about 30 years uh soap opera and and, and maybe because there's something almost python-esque about it where they say you know we learn english from this show, you are, are you not pregnant? <laughs> but but I also I also think part of the part of it is what you identified though. I think it's partly because you realize you've been developing this tension when they come in, and when you realize, oh, they really are good guys. They're just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. I think that's to me part of my laughter was just kind of a relief. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to turn out to be a sinister situation or anything like that, right? And, and you also realize that uh, it's it's easy to see the guy as as pretty lonely. I mean, mm -hmm. he has his dad. He's out there singing. It seems like he's either working on a vacuum cleaner or singing both day and night. He has yeah. this little room that seems to be above the shop, maybe where mm -hmm. the where they and 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 then you go to her life, and it's like her home is actually bursting with life. She has her mother and her daughter and you get this bigger sense, even as they're walking up the stairs, there are people coming and going and, um, and, and, and it's bursting with life and not necessarily in a way that is um, something she needs to fly from or escape from. Cause that's the other thing you would expect that this is going to be the thing that's going to get her out of this. And like, there are, she has problems in her life, 
Um, but it, but but it, I think that that is interesting too. Is like that 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 seems like a much more alive place maybe than than his apartment or his room is. Yeah, and there, and there is that very sad shot where she gives him what she knows is what we know is a brush off when she says she's going to come uh, mm -hmm. later. And then there's a shot of him outside the shop as it closes and it's dark and you're standing there waiting you know, fruitlessly for her. Yeah. Okay. So that, that actually is a great segue into the a question I want to hear you talk about, which is as you think about this movie, um, is this movie a triumphant story? Is it a sad story? Is it both? Like, how would you ultimately describe what this story, what this story is? I think it has elements of, of triumph. It has elements of fairy tale. Um, you know, the fact that he's able to get the, the record uh, made um, in a way that's um, maybe a little, a little more seamless than it would be in quote real life. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it has that element of triumph, but I also think what, what I, what I love about the way the films work structurally is it, it refuses to bring the boy and the girl together. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the director wanted to, he did, and that's why the title is Once, because they were supposed to make love once. Uh, and I really, really admire, I think it was uh, Irglova herself, I think both of them said, no, this is too cliche, we don't want to do that. Um, so, yeah, so you, you, you have the kind of the, the triumphant arc of the record being made, but then you have um, resolution in a different direction. You know, despite her misgivings about the husband, right, they're going to try to make that work. Uh, and he's going to go back to Catherine because he really hasn't gotten over her. Um, so I, it, it's a funny resolution that actually drives the two characters in opposite directions. Um, but I, but I, I think it's a lovely way to both kind of have your cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. You know, and here's what I thought of as I was watching it. And this is maybe I'm just trying to see connections between things we looked about, but I, when I, when I saw her playing the piano, kind of looking out the window and how it sort of, you know, the camera pulls back, you know, from there, it's one of the last shots of the film, maybe the last shot of the film. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, he's gone to London and there was almost this moment where it's like, where he was like, come with me, we'll go do this. Like, did that not feel like a shield Papan talking to uh, Philippa in the early parts of Babette's feast. Mm. Right. And it's like, so, and, and she chose and she, she made a choice. Right. So it all, so part of me feels like, Oh, this is like the first part of that, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it, it, which also gives me comfort too, to think mm. like, like, I mean, cause that story is about, we make these choices and they're hard choices, but you know, maybe in the, the larger sense of things, even those things we give up, we get back in, in kinds of ways. So uh, it, it just, it, it was like, Oh wow, this is another, another like, young woman with uh you know who, who's given this opera who has a gift but also has things that are keeping her where she is and um you know and she makes a choice at the end and like we can feel however we want about that choice what she should have done or shouldn't have done mm -hmm. but Babette's feast tells us stories are much bigger and and even like like the the larger spiritual story is much bigger than that so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i that that like jumped into my head as I saw that camera pull away. I thought, oh, it's Philippa. It's, it's, it's that story again. Um, so you mentioned what the director, a writer-director said about the title. Mm. Um, 
what do you think about the title once? What it because I actually think um, we talked about this with first reformed a little bit. Like I think this is a very a title that can be interpreted in lots and lots of different ways. So I'm sort of curious as you think about um, as you think about what that means as a title for this movie. What does it mean to you? Things, I think there's a couple things it can mean, uh, Sam. I think the most obvious one would be Once Upon a Time, um, which allows the film its kind of fairy tale uh, element, um, and that I think is nice in referring to the, what you might call the music plot. And then I think once also refers to their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that they are going to do once uh, and, and and that's it. Uh, so I think it kind of, it kind of works in both, both of those references. Yeah, I, to me, it's, to me, I always read it as sort of a version of the fairy tale thing, but, but almost more like, I mean, this, projecting these people's lives out further regardless of whether their lives are successes or not that i could see we'll keep this in something like dublin going into a pub and a story starts with once and then the story plays out like mm -hmm. it's like it's so it is sort of a version of like once upon a time but it doesn't even need to have the fairy tale you know part of that but but it's just like like this is a thing that happened you know, and like, mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and, and mm -hmm. so, and that was, cause I thought a lot about this after it came out. Cause um, there is a song titled once, which I think is not, it, it only plays in the credits. I don't think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and I, and I, and I remember um, reading people writing about it at the time or talking about it at the time. And they were talking about once as in like once in a lifetime. And I'm like, that's not what it is. It's mm -hmm. that, that doesn't feel like it feels like there's, because the the movie doesn't feel like that. The movie has this because because starting a story once can be I'm going to tell you this story about this great thing in my life. It could also be the way you start a story about regret. It could be a story like it could be any of those things. It is like just one of those. This is this is the let me tell you a story, and that leads I think to again sort of the the documentary, the plotless part of it is like let me just tell you about something that happened once, mm -hmm. you know. And I I just mm -hmm. I I love that. I love that. And I love that it's, it's a, it's, um, it's a title that the director had one meaning for that ended up not even being part of it, but then it can take on these other things, which fit very well with it. And isn't once the first word of a portrait of the artist as a young man. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good in Irish. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with this, with this movie? I, I guess I, I wanted to say something about um, the way the movie handles uh, exposition um and and how the uh it begins with her of course asking him a whole bunch of quite personal questions uh as he's busking and you have to love her directness and so the first part of the film um she is kind of pursuing his story so she's she asks him when he's busking and then she's pressing him for more information on the bus and he makes up the uh, hoover sucker fixer guy song uh, but then it turns the other direction when they're on the motor uh, on, on the motorcycle uh, and they're up on the hill and he's pressing her with questions about her husband. So there's a nice kind of of, of symmetry there. And also say to the side, uh, Sam, I always get nervous in movies when people are in cars or on motorcycles, right. um, especially in cars because they always are turning their heads and not paying attention to the road in a way that I don't think real drivers actually do. Anyway, so that's, so motorcycles uh, make me incredibly nervous. I was very nervous around that scene, but to me, that's kind of interesting how they both kind of get a chance to sort of pursue the other story and get the other to fill in the backstory 
I always pay attention to exposition in films. How naturally is it done? Mm -hmm. um, and even if you know, you know, if you notice it, does that mean it's not natural enough? But the exposition of this film just seemed to me to be kind of very naturally played out. Well, and what's interesting about that scene too, I also love the fact that that she has that that she has at least two languages that she speaks because there's that great moment where he's always asking, "What is check for this? What is check for this?" And he asks her, "What is check for? Do you still love him?" Right? Is right? And then he says it, and her response, she responds in check, and then he doesn't know. And actually, uh, Glenn Hanser didn't know what she said because. Uh, you know, parts of this were a little improvisation, improvised too. Mm -hmm. So, and so he actually didn't know what uh, what she said there. Um, and what she says in check is, "No, I love you," mm -hmm. but she knows he can't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's also even in doing that, it, she is saying not just "No, I love you," but she's saying "No, I love you," and you can't understand. You can't understand why that can't work. Yeah, exactly. You know, and mm -hmm. it's like. And and watching the film, I didn't know what she said, and they don't subtitle it, and you have to go online and read and realize, oh, that's what she said. It's like, oh man, because I because I always like it's it's so interesting because it is, it's a love story that doesn't give you any of those, like it doesn't give you the resolutions that you want, but at the same time isn't disappointing. Yeah, it it it, it felt I felt a little bit like cheating to me to know what she'd said. Mm -hmm. um but 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 ultimately it makes uh, you know e even if you know what she said it doesn't change it doesn't change the circumstances that she right. recognizes that they they can't be together no matter how she feels right because because here's the thing with it well, why i would say it, it, i i i feel okay knowing what she said ultimately because unless you speak check you don't and you won't know what she said until after you've seen the the, the whole film so you've seen mm -hmm. like oh now I know why she said that and why she didn't say it in English. Because mm -hmm. there is a point where she tells her mother, you should just answer him in English. Mm -hmm. But notice she doesn't there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, so so I actually think I actually really like that to say, like, only after the fact do I do I get to know because I don't because otherwise, like, I don't I mean, I know she has feelings for him, and she's sort of saying, in another world, in an you know, maybe, you know, that's about as far as she goes with what she says in English to him, but then you sort of realize like, oh, actually, no, she did love him, I think. Well, they they, they do have the conversation at the end about hanky-panky. Yeah. And uh, she yeah, says like, it'd be well, nice. Yeah, that'd be nice, but it wouldn't mean anything. So yeah. we're, not, we're not gonna go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I actually find that to be this like really cool layer that apparently she just did on her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so which is uh, it's just kind of great. She she's the more emotionally mature one in the relationship, I think. Oh yeah, and 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 it really and I think when you see her having a daughter and hear that she's married and she doesn't explain why she's in right. in Ireland, but you know, like you don't need to know to know like okay, there's there's a reason and it's probably not great. I mean, she's probably she probably didn't move to Ireland because she was going to make her dreams come true in Ireland. Like there was it's probably a little more complicated than that. Right, but I, but I wonder too, Sam, if he needed to have an emotional relationship that was not sexual mm -hmm. uh, in order to kind of prepare himself to reunite with Catherine. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that yeah, I, I think you know because in, in that sense, I think the film is a lot about his emotional growth. Um, Absolutely. And that, that fine gesture at the end, right? I assume he, I assume he used the money his dad gave him to set up an apartment. That's my I guess. Yeah, that money on the piano. Yeah, no, because I was thinking the same thing because because that 
is so clearly like the, that gets laid out in the scene right before, like, I have put this money aside for you. Yeah. So then you're like, okay, well then he can do And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because he has connections in London, presumably a place he can stay and things like that. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you often ask about what happens after the end. And I think, I think he goes on to become Glenn Hansard. Right. <laughs> oh. So uh, anything else you want to say about this? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I guess, I guess I'm just, I'm going to say that um, I, I have not watched any of John Carney's subsequent films. He's done two more efforts at kind of rethinking the musical. Okay. Uh, what were I, what, one, I can't remember the name of it. It had Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo, and it didn't do that well. And then he did another one a couple of years ago. I think it's called Street Sing, which got very good reviews, but I haven't checked it out. So that might be my next step. I might want to check that out. So, and I guess the only other thing I would add is, as people probably know, the um, the relationship between uh, Hansard and Erglova did blossom. Um, they formed a group called the uh, the Swell Season. Uh, they had a couple years of success. There's actually a documentary about that group called the Swell Season, uh, and then they discovered they were quite different people, and uh, they broke up. And she's now happily married and living in Iceland and making records. So, what do you have for us for next week? Okay, um, this is this is this is one I've been uh, I've been wrestling with Sam, uh, but I decided I'm gonna take a chance. We've been doing this long enough together; we'll trust each other. Um, I don't normally allow my life to be guided by Rotten Tomatoes and critics, um, but I will admit that when a film comes along that does pretty poorly, both at the box office with critics, I tend to ignore it. But then, when people whose opinion I really respect, like A.O. Scott of the New York Times. My son, uh, one of my Bethel colleagues, Marion Larson, when they all tell me, you know, this film is really worth a look, um, I tend to listen. And I watched the film with Amy, who can be a harsh critic, and we both felt that the film had been pretty unfairly uh, characterized by the critics. Um, in addition, the film was described by A.O. Scott as though an episode of Twilight Zone had been made by Preston Sturgis. Uh, Ooh, I'm, and, I'm all my my interest is already in. So the film is 2017's Downsizing, uh, with Matt. Oh, Nathan. yes, and, and, I remember uh, this coming out. Yeah, and it, it's and it's very Solomon's Travels ish. I will let people know that ahead of time. In that it really falls distinct distinctly into two different parts, uh, two different tones even. And I think the people who were disappointed by the film thought it was going to be the kind of film that it wasn't. So be prepared; it's going to throw you a big curve in the middle. And it's going to go off in a in a really serious direction. Uh, the director is Alexander Payne, and I'm kind of hit and miss with Payne. Um, but anyway, I think it's I think it's worth a look. Oh well, I'm excited. I have not seen that. This is a movie, and I will say this is a movie that I saw. I remember seeing trailers for, and thinking, nope, I don't think that looks like something. Yeah. So so, but I have also heard. Um, occasionally people bring it up as like, it's actually really pretty interesting. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you talked earlier, Sam, about revisiting films that decide, that don't stand up, but there's mm -hmm. also the issue of revisiting films that didn't do well. Um, several years ago, uh, Amy and I watched a notor notorious Hollywood bomb, Ishtar, mm -hmm. that ended Elaine May's uh, filmmaking career. It's, it's not a bad film. It's not a great film, but it's not a bad film. I think downsizing is a good film. So at least I hope so. We'll see. What All right. <laughs> well, that will be our film uh, to talk about next week. Uh, so Barrett, thank you for this conversation. And, and and honestly, just thank you for 
getting me to because I was afraid to watch once again. My mm -hmm. wife has seen it since, and I've always I've always avoided it because I loved it too much, and it yeah. was too precious to me. And uh, it was now I know I can go back to it whenever I want, and it's and it is it is what I think it is. So uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, that's all the time that we have for this week. We will catch you next week as we talk about the movie Downsizing in the Video Store. Mm -hmm.